This week's Security Ledger podcast is sponsored by Trusted Computing Group. Through open standards and specifications, Trusted Computing Group enables secure computing. Through its member-driven workgroups, Trusted Computing Group enables the benefits of trust in computing devices from mobile to embedded systems, as well as networks, storage, infrastructure, and cloud security. More than a billion devices include TCG technologies. Check them out at trustedcomputinggroup.org. Hello, and welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's episode of the podcast number 208. To be clear, the people that are doing these types of things are not, you know, teenagers sitting in their basements. It's large, well-funded nation states. When we think about cyber threats to the hardware supply chain, we often think about defense contractors making missiles and fighter jets. But these days, hardware supply chain security affects a wide range of companies and organizations, not just technology giants like Intel or cloud computing providers like Amazon and Google, but banks and financial services companies, healthcare firms, consumer electronics makers, and more. Despite media attention to the problem, the awareness of hardware supply chain security is still low within companies. Beyond that, tools and talent to address it are hard to find and expensive. What's a company to do? In this episode of the podcast, we welcome Michael Mattioli into the Security Ledger studio. Michael leads the hardware engineering team at Goldman Sachs, where he's responsible for the design and engineering of that firm's digital experiences and technologies. He's also responsible for the overall strategy and execution of hardware innovation at Goldman Sachs and a recognized expert on it within the broader technology industry. In this interview, Michael and I talk about the growing risk of hardware supply chain attacks and the need for coordination throughout the industry to address the threat that they pose. To start off, I asked Michael to describe the work he does at Goldman Sachs and why a financial services company is employing a hardware security expert. Hey, I'm Michael Mattioli. Um, I'm the principal engineer within hardware engineering at Goldman Sachs. Michael, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. Thank you for having me. You're on the uh, hardware engineering team at Goldman Sachs. Obviously, huge financial services firm. Maybe we don't think of them typically as a company that is employing hardware engineers um, and experts in that area. So I guess talk at a high level about some of the work you do at Goldman Sachs. A lot of the work that I do focuses on the consumer electronics space. So that's something as simple as a keyboard or a mouse, something as complex as digital signage, a display, a PC, a laptop, a tablet. And then lately these days, I have my hand in a variety of different things um, outside the consumer electronics space. So cloud, data center and most recently and prominently in security and trustworthy systems. Talk to us a little bit about how you got into, into the field and your introduction both to you know, cybersecurity generally and particularly looking at hardware cyber threats. You know, I've been at the firm about five and a half, almost six years now. So if you asked me in college if I thought I was going to go for a bank as an engineer, I would have told you you were nuts. But it turns out you can have a fairly successful career in engineering at a bank. So for those of you listening, if you're wondering, I'm living proof of that. <laughs> so... A few years ago, I would say maybe 18, 24 months ago, actually, maybe not, not, not that long, I was talking to a few people in the industry about the supply chain, the looming supply chain problem, because Bloomberg had published an article in, I think it was 2018 or so. There were a variety of claims made in, the, in that article surrounding um, hardware implants and, and chips being snuck into boards from a few well-known major companies. 
So the scary part was that it is technically possible to do what they had alleged. And what surprised me was no one was talking about how big of a problem it actually is, and no one was trying to solve it. So that kind of got me on the path of, in particular, you know, how do you protect your hardware and how do you ensure trust in your hardware? You know, as the cloud grows and people are transacting on mobile devices, you know, when you think about it, the cloud is just abstraction on top of abstraction on top of abstraction. So the underlying hardware, which all those abstractions, your software, your services are built upon, people stop and, and remember that there is hardware that are supporting those things. The hardware is the foundation for everything you do in the electronic space. So if the integrity of your hardware is a question, so is everything above it. Um, and then in the mobile space, you know, a lot of not just financial services firms, but everybody now is transacting with people on mobile devices. And when you think about it, they're in the physical possession of somebody whom you've probably never met or seen, distributed all around the world in a variety of different countries where there's various legal jurisdictions. And you know, you say to yourself, how do I know? Again, you know, to the hardware foundation piece, how do I know if if the transaction I'm doing with that individual is is valid? Is it, you know, can I really take its word for it? And when we talk about hardware security, I mean, I always imagined, okay, some organizations do this, you know, the a Lockheed Martin or a big defense industrial based contractor, you know, they're they're probably concerned about this for weapon systems and so on. Other uh, nations might do it around highly sensitive projects. But then there's sort of everybody else. So what has been the state of play or state of the art in terms of assessing, you know, counterfeit and cyber risk within hardware supply chains? To your point, yes, everybody has thought about it maybe to some degree. So, uh, but the scary part is it doesn't affect consumers. It doesn't just affect large corporations. It also affects governments and people typically buy things like iPhone chargers and turns out, you know, sometimes they're counterfeit. And then in, in the, to your point about government military arrows, you could imagine that it's a pretty big problem if somebody orders a component for a multi-million dollar fighter jet and there's, you know, either it's counterfeit, it's been modified, it's been tampered with. Um, so it affects the, the whole gamut. Now in the consumer space, Maybe the bad actor, or the malicious actor, isn't targeting John Smith, right? Because a lot of I think it's very common for people to say to themselves, like, "Well, I'm the target because I'm just John Smith, right? What do people want with my information, or what could people possibly want to do to harm me?" But the reality is, they're not maybe targeting John Smith specifically. Maybe they're targeting you as part of a broader. Okay? So they're targeting maybe an entire country, an entire city. They're not targeting just you. It's it's when they, they start targeting very specific companies or very specific countries, like you know, when you get to the large say services firms or say the large governments or corporations. And to be clear, the people that are doing these types of things are not, you know, teenagers sitting in their basements. It's large, well funded nation states that potentially could be doing these types of things. So it's not uncommon or it's not outside of the realm of possibility, I would say. Like let's say someone was shipping a large number of servers to someone's data center and the UPS label said to Amazon or to, you know, XYZ financial services firm. And, you know, someone paid the UPS guy to open the box and do something to each one. And it's not exactly too hard to do that. So I think that the, the interesting part is, yeah, people have maybe talked about it or realized, yeah, sure, it's real. But has anyone done anything about it? And then that's, you know, back in October of 2020, a few months ago, Myself and a few people from Intel wrote a white paper trying to raise some awareness about this problem. And then we, you know, we actually ended up partnering with a bunch of other OEMs and ODMs and 
IHVs. And we said, we all agree that this is a problem. It affects all of us. And the, the, the semiconductor supply chain is so complex that none of us can solve this on our own, like not even the mighty Intel, which, you know, they have their own fabs. They're a pretty large company. What we did was, you know, that's when I started to get much more involved with industry groups like the Global Semiconductor Alliance and the Trusted Computing Group. So right now I lead a working group with a few others specifically around supply chain security and provenance. And um, we're actually in the process of forming a working group in the Trusted Computing Group to take a lot of the technologies that the TCG has developed over the last few years and apply them very specifically to supply chain. You're listening to the Security Ledger podcast. This week's podcast is sponsored by the Trusted Computing Group. So you wrote this paper, Consumer Exposure to Counterfeit Hardware, where you it's kind of like you kind of sum up some of the various manifestations of this from, again, the sort of super micro, you know, compromised motherboard to the, you know, bogus phony iPhone phone charger, you know, that might burst into flames or something. It's a wide range. But I mean, one of the things you point out is, you know, a lot of the existing security methods rely on, you know, kind of open source research, you know, of where you buy it and the and the seller, but also maybe visual inspection for, you know, components, but that that those are all very fallible. What what are your thoughts on the way to do hardware supply chain security? in a way that isn't so fallible, but that is also scalable, because you're, again, talking about billions, potentially, of, of electronic devices that you may need to, you know, attest to. That right there is the million-dollar question, yeah. dare I say, the trillion-dollar trillion dollar question. question right, yeah. um, so that's actually the problem, is the only way to detect the... And the reason I wrote that paper was, you know, like I said earlier, I was trying to make people aware that this affects consumers, this affects large corporations, this affects governments, it affects everybody. Like, the notion that it's only a small segment of the population or like a niche thing is, is just not true. But I think that, you know, what I was trying to highlight there was the tools and methods we have to tell if something's counterfeit and five, they're very primitive. Like the first sign is, oh, is the label misaligned or is the color yellow, the color yellow it should be, or it's like very primitive things. And then once you see something's off, sure, then you dig deeper, but then digging deeper is x-raying it or taking it out and mat- checking serial numbers and so all of those are very manual, primitive things, and they're very, very expensive to do at scale. And the truth is, is we don't have any form of standards-based technology or tools to do these things. There are like you know academic methods um, and research being done to validate that semiconductors or entire platforms are genuine, but none of them have been adopted in practice. And I think that's largely because this just hasn't gotten enough attention and not because it ha- not just because it hasn't gotten enough attention. No one player in the supply chain has end-to-end control. So let's say like, you know, XYZ Fab, right? Like there's Global Foundries, there's Samsung, there's TSMC. Let's say they did something to try to fix this. Okay, great. But now everybody else in that chain has to play along, if you will. So that security model that you've had from the beginning carries throughout. And I think that's that's really the bigger problem is, is nobody does this end to end. And so that's why we're trying to partner with the TCG and the GSA, because out of those players, even though they're, again, segmented, they all have some sort of affiliation with those two industry groups. And the goal here is how do we get everybody aligned Grandma deserves to know that her iPhone is genuine the same way some large corporation deserves to know that their $30,000 server is genuine. So I would say that there must be 
uh, a QR code you can scan or an NFC, something you can scan when you get your device. And you can drill down and get very specific details like who shipped it, where it came from, date of manufacturer, serial number, firmware. You can validate a whole bunch of things. You can get as nerdy as you want. However, I think there should be a very simple green or red, like, you know, a, a circle, a checkbox or an X or something like that. Almost like, you know, not too dissimilar to, um, I'm sure you've been paying attention to the whole vaccine distribution thing lately. In the cold chain, as they distribute it, they put a little sticker on the box. And if that sticker turns a certain color, that means at some point throughout its distribution, it either fell below a certain temperature or something happened to it where the vaccine is no longer valid. So something not too dissimilar from that at a very, very high level, I think is something we need to get to. Interesting. So you also wrote, you, you've pointed to actually consumer gaming uh, consoles like Xbox and PlayStation 1 and Nintendo as kind of exemplars of secure devices that have created a pretty effective ecosystem um, that is very resilient to compromise and attack. Talk about that and sort of what lessons uh, maybe the rest of the electronics world can learn from game makers who are obviously particularly concerned about piracy, like game piracy. Uh, that's kind of their motivating concern. The whole business model behind the video game industry is selling you games. Like when, when Microsoft or Sony sell you the Xbox or the PlayStation, they're selling that console. They're either breaking even or for the most part selling it at a loss because they know they're going to make the money back when they sell you games. And so there are two motivations that I, as a gamer, have. One is, you know, piracy, so that I can play games for free, right? There's a financial benefit there. And then the other one is to cheat, so, so that I can get an unfair advantage over other players. So how do Microsoft and Sony protect their business model? And because the console is physically in their possession, right? That console has to withstand a variety of different supply chain attacks because it also goes through the same supply chain PC or laptop. But it's not like a corporation where that that desktop or that laptop sits in a company office behind a firewall or whatever. It's sitting in someone's home. Someone can do all sorts of crazy things to it so that they can try to quote unquote hack it. So they have to design it to be remarkably resilient against physical attacks. And they've been very, very successful. I mean, when's the last time you heard of any public vulnerabilities around, you know, the PlayStation yeah. or the Xbox? Rare. The reason why people I think discount video game consoles is, you know, at first glance, people go, oh, well, you know, it's it's a video game console. Well, of course, like, all it does is play games. But very few people that like, for example, the Xbox actually runs Windows. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, take that, you know, $60 video game, right? Because that's really what Microsoft is trying to protect. Take that $60 video game and replace it with very sensitive company information. And it's the same idea. It's everybody wants a device that's high performance, high security, cost effective but they keep their data secure regardless of who has physical possession of it. Are we seeing any interest in that as a as a potential business model, do you think? It's not a technical problem. It's more of a, like, you know, if you said to me, like, is the Xbox going to start popping up in, in different offices around the globe? Yeah. I would say it's more of a business model problem than it is a technical problem. Yeah. But it is interesting. A lot of the hardware security that was in the Xbox is now trickling into PCs slowly but surely. And actually, one of those technologies, uh, Microsoft refers to it as Pluton, which actually emulates a lot of the functionality that's available in a trusted platform module or more, you know, more commonly known as a TPM, which is one of the core TCG technologies that I think would actually be very, very helpful in 
you know, how do we secure various components in the supply chain? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, compared to maybe 15 years ago, you know, we now do have these very secure endpoints like iPhones and, and Xboxes that we use quite a bit to access data. But all that data has moved from obviously servers on our networks and, and into the cloud. Um, so that that endpoint piece has gotten even more critical as well as the cloud piece. But on the cloud side, there's a lot of loose behavior going on. Right? There's a lot of data data dumps from uh, cloud unprotected cloud servers and, and storage containers that uh, that make headlines as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of the cloud issues, honestly, are just a lack of understanding of, again, the hardware that's underneath yeah. it. Uh, it's, you know, d small anecdotal story. The other, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a new group of interns and um, they were, you know, fresh out of college. Some of them were still in college and they sit down and we showed them that Outlook is where they open their email. And they all looked at us like we were puzzled and they'd never seen Outlook before, <laughs> right? And then it hit me that like, we finally crossed the threshold where people have gone their entire academic careers and have never touched things like Apple. They only know Gmail. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're, I think we're, we're it's, it's the same thing with the cloud. I think we're finally crossing the threshold where developers are going through college and their formal training as software engineers. And yeah. they are now at the point where they think that they could spin up infrastructure or do things in the cloud, but they've never touched or experienced the actual hardware. And I think that's largely due to the abstractions that the cloud providers give you, which is there to make your life easier. However, there was a day when you need, the only way to do those things was to get a data center and you had to know, like, how do you, like, I, I guarantee you, if you ask someone today, how do you rack a 2U server? Very few people, unless they like have physically done it, would know how to do that. So I think part of that is, you know, the, the cloud guys are trying to make your life easier, but I think everybody else kind of needs to remember there's hardware there. It's not magic. We're losing those uh, survival skills in a way. In five more years, they're just going to ask you what email is, I think, when you sit those people <laughs> <Yeah>. down. <laughs> One of the interesting tensions, I think, is... So Bloomberg, I mean, you mentioned the Bloomberg Supermicro stories. There have been two of them now. There was one a couple of years ago, and then they actually recently just kind of updated that story and, and doubled down on it. As you mentioned, there's a lot of questions around the veracity of the reporting and, and confirming what's been reported. And obviously, the, the companies involved have really strenuously denied you know, what Bloomberg is saying. What do you think the practical impact of those stories has been in you know, like financial services and other industries? What do you think is going to come from those revelations, regardless of whether or not they're actually, they actually are borne out? What they tried to do was they tried to raise awareness, but the problem is they did so in a way that people started to focus on the truth around their claims. Mm -hmm. Like they were very, to your point, adamant that what they claimed did happen. Mm. And they tried, I think, to make this like a scandal type thing when I think they really should have um, raised awareness. And I think what the reason why the initiative that we tried to start, you know, that tried, like I mentioned earlier, I tried to start with Intel back in October. I think the reason why thankful that's gaining traction is because rather than focus on the OMG, this may have may or may not have had happened, we're focusing on the this is a problem. Yeah. And everybody involved from the end user, consumer, government, enterprise, all the way back to the fabs, the foundries, and the semiconductor designers have significant interest and stand to benefit financially from doing this. So I think we're, like, we're you know, not to say that Bloomberg focused on the bad, but I feel like we're, we're taking a different perspective. And I think that's kind of helping us gain traction. 
uh, not just in the GSA, but also in the TCG. So what should people look for from your group? Look out. Um, I can't say too much, but I will say that we are working on proof of concepts for some of these technologies that we're hoping to roll out sometime before the end of this year. We are also, like I mentioned earlier, in the process of formalizing that working group in the TCG, um, which should include a lot of uh, large tech companies, which many of you have probably heard of. Um, and I think that, you know, more broadly speaking, uh, now that we are in a, I'll call it a post-pandemic world, with everyone working home and devices and hardware no longer being, like I said earlier, behind the, the comfort and the protection of a corporate office or firewall, I think people are going to have to really rethink how they protect information because, again, hardware is subject to physical attacks, supply chain attacks. So, you know, can you can you really trust every single I'm not saying every employees are doing something malicious. However, can you really trust every single person you give a laptop to to, quote unquote, do the right thing? If you can, that's great. But now you're introducing a human element there, which can you really scale that? Like you need to start asking yourself that. And I think you also need to start really looking at information protection, not just even in the realm of electronics, but it's the common say you're at home, your kids are home, your wife is home, you're sitting down, you have sensitive information up on your screen. Now, yeah, sure, there may be a thousand different ways to prevent you from uploading that information to like Dropbox or Reddit or something like that, right? Electronic controls. But what's stopping your wife or your kid from walking over to your monitor and taking a picture of your screen with your with her cell phone or his cell phone or whatever it may be, right? So like something as simple as that, like you can have all the complex technology in the world, but something as simple as taking out a phone and snapping a picture of your screen and now what? So I think we need to rethink about how do we protect, or should I say, you know, more technically, how should we close those side channels that we've been overlooking for so long? What's on your on your radar for 2021 in terms of you know cyber risks, concerns, priorities? I think a lot of it is, um, like I mentioned earlier, how do we you know close those gaps in the side channel space? I think that there's going to be a lot more research done in the semiconductor space, as you probably heard in the news lately. There's a whole semiconductor shortage that affects everything from PCs to cars now. I think that that's very telling in a lot of ways. Um, there's a whole geopolitical thing going on around there. Like, I, you know, the current administration, I think, signed an executive order to go do it, like a, an audit or an investigation on the current semiconductor chain. So will we see state-of-the-art um, semiconductor manufacturing return to the United States? It'd be very interesting if it does. Um, but there's a whole, it's a whole bunch of things going on there, like in the IP space and counterfeiting just that I think we need to pay attention to. Michael Mattioli, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on the Security Ledger podcast. It's been great talking to you. It's been great talking to you, too. Thank you for having me. This week's edition of the Security Ledger podcast was sponsored by the Trusted Computing Group. Through open standards and specifications, Trusted Computing Group enables secure computing. Through its member-driven workgroups, Trusted Computing Group enables the benefits of trust in computing devices from mobile to embedded systems, as well as networks, storage, infrastructure, and cloud security. More than a billion devices include TCG technologies. Check them out at trustedcomputinggroup.org.